All right, sweet, sweet sounds. I hope that you'll continue fellowshipping after we're done with our time together. Good to see you all. Awesome. Good, good. Good to see you guys. I know that some people dislike the holidays largely because uh, they don't have those to share them with. But overall, I mean, and I certainly respect that. Um, Boy, oh boy, I really do. In that, though, did, did most of you, would you say you had a good Thanksgiving weekend? Yeah? Good, good. Yeah. Did, did any of you travel to see family? Okay, a few of you did, yeah? Okay, even if you just went to the Springs or to Denver. Yeah. Are there those of you here today that are, are you've traveled here for Thanksgiving? Anybody like that, that you're with family? Okay, well, all right. And I guess, are we all local then? Yeah. Does anybody wish you were traveling right now? <laughs> like, you know, Florida, you know, Phoenix. So, so I, are you getting annoyed with these people that are talking about 70 degree weather right now? Huh? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Anybody see any wrecks over the last few days? Okay. Yeah. Anybody in a wreck the last few days? Okay. I know some were delayed on the way to church today just uh, because of people getting in the ditch and and clogging up the roads. So it's just good to see you all and to be together with you this morning. We're in a series. I'm Pastor Michael, lead pastor here at, at Summit. We're in a series called Beloved. Another way to say that is dear ones. And, and I really do appreciate those, those pastors that always address their, their congregations as dear ones and beloved. Um, I'm hoping that maybe in the course of the study, I'll get a little bit better at using those kinds of expressions. Uh, I don't know what it is, probably my upbringing, but I, man, when I hear someone say that, uh, I, just, I just appreciate it so much, and I certainly want to know how to love better. So, so dear ones, and today, our, our specific title is, How is Your Temple? Okay, now Aaron mentioned in a few weeks we're going to do this thing called carols. So I'm this week and next week we'll do the Gospel of John, and I'm really excited about next week's teaching. And then the week of the kids program we're going to do this thing called carols. And what does the Word of God and where does the Word of God align with what's or where do the carols align with what's in the Word of God? And where are some good questions that we can challenge even the the carols? Okay, in this, and so I'm looking forward to this series. It's been really fun working on those and, and writing that, anticipating it very much. So in our text today, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. It's, it's Passover week, and, 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 and Passover is a Jewish holy week that commemorates one of the most significant moments in all biblical history, in all history, in our history, in Jewish history. It's prophetic. It's amazing. Uh, You all should recognize it because it involves Moses. It involves Egypt. It involves God's people, the Hebrews, the Jews, being held as slaves in Egypt for some 430 years. God sending Moses to Egypt to set his people free, but not just to set them free, to lead them to the promised land. So how is that all that prophetic? Prophecy is cyclical. It occurs again and again throughout history, but it's all pointing to significant greater events. So the events 
in the Ten Commandments. Um, what's the Disney movie called that was involved with Moses and the, all that stuff? Anybody remember? Prince of Egypt? Is that right? Yeah? Okay, none, none of you helped me with that. Thanks a lot. <laughs> we go out to figure it out. In all this stuff, what it's all pointing to is that we need to be set free from slavery to sin and death. And that's what Jesus is all about. And Jesus leads us to the promised land, to Canaan, gives us hope of a greater future. So we need to see all that as the scripture unfolds. But in Passover, Jesus coming into Jerusalem, every Jewish male was expected to travel whatever distance, I I don't care if there's ice out or what, do whatever it takes to get to Jerusalem because that is the place of gathering. That is the place of temple. That is the center of worship. For a long, long time, God's presence and his glory was literally there. His presence was literally there. But as we study our text today, and as I studied it, I actually saw three temples. And so there are three temples God that I believe God would have us to consider this morning. And they are these. The temple as a gathering place, one. The temple as our Savior. And the temple as you and me. So let's watch how this unfolds in our text. First, we see the temple as a gathering place. Reading from the Word of God. John chapter 2, verse 13. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple courts. Now, the temple courts, I will be referring to this as the court of the Gentiles. Okay, so get those two together. Temple courts, court of the Gentiles. So what are the temple courts? Okay, good, good. I think we're on board. Some of you weren't sure there. I'm glad you were watching your neighbor's lips and you picked up on that in the temple courts he found people selling cattle sheep and doves and others sitting at the tables exchanging money so he made a whip out of cords now think about that Jesus made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts both sheep and cattle he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their temples To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Jesus yelled, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. So uh, one of the evidences of the Messiah is that he will have zeal for his father's house. They remember that from scripture. And we want to say, come on, Jesus, just be nice. And he's messing up our Mr. Rogers view of, of Jesus here. It's not just a wonderful day in the neighborhood. Yeah. I imagine the disciples were shocked. Okay, so I just brought a couple of, of, of pictures just to kind of take us there to Jerusalem. The first one would be the excavated steps leading up to the court of Gentiles. Now imagine yourself, you're walking up to these steps, coming to the court of, of the Gentiles. Then the second image takes us right there on site to the court of the Gentiles. So you see those in front of us. It's a huge area, about a football field long. Um, almost that same distance 
wide. This was as far into the worship center as any non-Jew was allowed to come. Okay? The Gentiles, the non-Jews, you and me, weren't allowed to go any further. But it was actually to serve as an introduction. You think about how do we reach seekers. It was to serve as an introduction to faith and an introduction to worship, an introduction to approaching God. But notice in our text here, it's become more about greed. Not about Almighty God, but about the Almighty dollar, using our English words. Okay, that's what's happening. So, most of us have probably heard someone say, and and maybe we've said it ourselves, the only thing the church cares about is your Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. The only thing the church cares about is your, okay, we've heard it. So I'm told of one pastor who, when it came that time in their worship service for worship and giving, you know, taking the offering, he asked everyone in the congregation to stand, and once they were standing, he had them all exchange wallets and checkbooks. Okay, once that was done, he said, Now give like you've always wanted to, but never felt like you could. (laughs) It's all about the money, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's that's what we hear. All about the money. And that's what's happening right here in the temple. It works like this. All men, 20 years of age and older, were required. It wasn't optional. It was demanded. It was law required to bring a financial contribution. It was a a literal tax that would be used for the operating expenses there on temple grounds. But there was a convenient glitch, glitch in that offering. One of the high priests, when he was in office, made a specific law that said you could not use Roman currency, denarii. You couldn't use the common money of the day. You couldn't use the money that everybody was using. It was unacceptable. Therefore, it had to be exchanged for temple money into shekels. Turn it into shekels, exchange it, and then you can make your offering. Now, hold on to that, okay, because we're going to build on that in just a moment. Got the idea. Take your money. It's not good here. Trade it in for temple money. Okay, not denarii, but shekels okay now watch besides this tax they're also required to bring the right offering as a sin offering one of those being a one-year-old lamb that had no spot and no blemish but there was another problem the biblical law said you could bring your own animal without spot or blemish But the authorities at the temple had a reputation of always being able to find a flaw. Therefore, you couldn't bring your own animal. And very conveniently, you could purchase purchase the right animal right there on site. One that had a a rabbinical seal of approval. Isn't that great? But there again, you couldn't use regular money. You had to turn it in. You had to trade it in for temple money. Now, here's the two big problems. Number one, the markup on these rabbinical-approved animals was extremely high, as you might guess, right? Yeah, just go to Jerusalem today and go to any 
tourist shop, and everything's marked up way high. And the same with these animals. Secondly, the exchange rate to go from denarii to shekels was, was two to one. So, so I think we're getting the idea of what's happening here. It was a scam. And since you couldn't use your money anywhere else, if you didn't spend it all on site, yes, you could trade it back in, but it, the, the exchange rate there was pennies to the dollar. Oh, my word. So historian Josephus, who actually witnessed this and wrote for us a record outside of the biblical record, he, he writes that in the year 6580, very close to where we are right here, 225,000 lambs were sacrificed in Jerusalem in this one week alone. Can you imagine the prophet going on here? See, see what's going on. Consequently, the temple officials were getting really rich under the guise of serving the people, and the poor were excluded from worship. How were they excluded from worship? Remember during that song, I emphasized to you, that is the center of worship. It's bringing the offering, bringing the right offering to God. We no longer bring animals. God, Jesus gave himself for us as the perfect animal, but we offer ourselves back to God. The poor could not afford the necessary sacrifices. Therefore, they were excluded from, from worship. Okay, now let's build on this a little bit. Where the temple was positioned in this day, it became a major thoroughfare. It was the best way to approach the Kidron Valley. So over here is Temple Mount. And if you travel east, the direction Jesus is going to come, right? Toward the Mount of Olives, you have to cross the Kidron Valley. This was the shortest way to get there. So rather than providing a sacred gathering place for worship and introduction to worship and to the things of God... The court of the Gentiles was overcome with the push of crowds, with the noise of crowds, with the cry of vendors, the smell of livestock, the noise of livestock, the selling of animals, the irritation of having to stand in lines, and the sense of being robbed, thieves abounding. Welcome to the house of God. Welcome to worship. Doesn't that sound like what we're after here? This is what's going on. It's not the first time Jesus saw this. He'd come to temple over the years and witnessed this. But on this day, he had enough. And on this day, he took authority. Now hear that. Jesus took authority. That's what's going on in his father's house. Okay, now let's just step back and, and get a picture of worship and of temple right here. The best way to understand and define what church should be, is actually in this word ecclesia, which is about gathering or coming together freely, gladly, in God's name, and hopefully in God's presence. So let's think about this temple that we've been exposed to here. Let's think of this as, as corporate worship. Let's think of this as gathering place, ecclesia. Let's think of it this, this way. Why was Jesus so angry right here? He was angry because the sacred gathering place had become a place of merchandising. His zeal could be defined with the word jealous. Therefore, it looks like this. God is jealous about the place and the priority of worship. Okay, now let's bring it home. 
in the same way, God is jealous about our gatherings, just like this. He doesn't want us missing the point of it all, and the point of it all really is Him. He doesn't want it being about anyone or anything else, no personality, no personalities, not our achievements. He wants it to be about Him. And so here we come, we, we come together to worship, and it's a good place to consider what is our motive for coming together? Is it out of duty, obligation, tradition? Is it out of networking, our need to build ourselves, or are we coming for Him? It's a good place to consider it. What is our purpose? And I'm so grateful. You all, Summit Church, you are amazing in so many ways. I thank God for you. When I hear people say we have an unusual number of volunteers, I just want to give glory to God. I don't even like to refer to you as volunteers because we're functioning as the body of Christ. Glory to God for you. When I think about your giving, you are so faithful in your giving. And, and right now, I just want you to pray toward the end of the year in your giving. We give freely, but pray toward the end of the year because I've never seen us in quite the place we are right now with a particular deficit. Uh, I don't know what's going on there. I think we're honoring the budget, but offerings aren't lining up right now. And so what's God saying? And if you would pray about that, but, but that's not the point. We don't do it out of obligation. We do it freely. And in considering why do we give, is it, is it out of freedom? Is it out of a true, sincere offering, giving back to God what he's given to us? Or is it out of a sense of duty and, and obligation? So here's some questions. How might Jesus want to clean house in how we approach our coming together in worship? Okay, so there we have it. The first temple is temple as a gathering. Temple as a gathering. Can you say temple as a gathering? Temple as a gathering. Yes, gathering place. Let's go on to the second one here. Temple as a savior. Picking up verse 18. Watch this. The Jews then responded to him, what, what's that next word? What sign? Yeah, the sign just keeps popping up in John here. What sign can you show to prove your authority to do all this? What gives you the right? Do you have any credentials? Verse 19, Jesus answered them, destroy the temple, this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. So Jesus potentially had broken the law right here. They've disrupted events at the temple on one of the biggest times of the year. The religious police aren't convinced he has any right to do this. They're asking for a sign. So what did Jesus mean when he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up? Well, he's actually answering on two levels. And the first level, and this is me you know, as if I'm quoting Jesus here, he's saying, you are destroying this stone temple. When you desecrate the worship of my father with your greed, you rob it of its purpose, rendering it worthless. You have made any point to this meaningless 
insignificant. And sure enough, 40 years later, the whole place will be leveled by the Romans, fulfilling prophecy, but more importantly saying that we missed it when it came to temple gatherings. But the second part of it is this. The same, watch this now, the same materialistic deadness that misses the point of worship and destroys this temple will soon destroy me. If you treasure money more than my father, you will treasure my destruction as well. In fact, it goes like this. Destroy the temple, this building, and destroy this temple, my body. Okay, so what does Jesus mean when he says, and in three days I will raise it up? Well, same two levels apply. So watch this. One, you will kill me, and in three days I will rise from the dead. Watch for it. Watch for the sign. It's going to happen, right? And secondly, this material temple here in Jerusalem that you've rendered worthless will be destroyed. It will be no more, but a new gathering place will be established. And Jesus says, I myself will become that gathering place where people can at last be introduced to God, find God, walk with God, have a life in relationship with God, and there find a relationship with one another. Watch this now. In another place, Jesus said this, I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. What do you think it is? Jesus, the temple. So he's talking about, I'm here. To the woman at the well, watch this. Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. No building necessary. What's going on here? A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Jesus is saying, I am the new temple. And when I fulfill everything that I'm here to do, I will become that place. God, through me, direct access. You'll have direct access to the Father through me. You no longer need a building. You no longer need to travel to Jerusalem. I will be with you. And I think we have a unique privilege that we have no building. And somehow we are Summit Church. How does that work? Right? We're, the question's always, where's your church? Right? I mean, here's the... Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Oops, got right. Forgot how to do this. Open the door, and who's there? Yeah. No, no, no. Here's the church. Here's the pe- people. Right. Just outside, you might see a steeple. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. So, temple is Jesus, and so the invitation: come to the true temple. Come to the gathering place. Come to Jesus. Glory to God. Hey, let's just let out a shout to God that he is our our gathering place. Yeah. Okay, but I do see a third temple here. So let's go on in our text, the temple of you and me, verse 23. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the what? Signs. There it is again. The signs he was performing and believed in his name. 
So last week, we looked at this miracle of turning water into wine. We emphasized verse 11, which says, What Jesus did in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Signs and believing. Get the thread that's going on here. Jesus is doing amazing things, and people are believing. Our key text in John is chapter 20, verse 31. Terry, I think we have that. The next slide. Chapter 20, verse 31. Let's read this together. Would you read it with me? These things are recorded in order that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. By believing, you may have life in his name. By believing, you may have life in his name. This is what John is all about. This is what, what he wrote this book to, to, to make certain of, that everyone, everywhere, everyone possible, every opportunity that people would find the Lord, put their faith in him. And right here in our text, Jesus takes authority in his father's house. This is not one of those seven signs that I mentioned last week that we're going to see in chapters 2 through 12. There's seven specific miracles that take place right here. But get this. While the religious police are demanding a sign, the common people are having no trouble seeing signs all around Jesus, and they are believing. And right there, I just had to stop and I had to say, God, please help me not to miss the signs. God, please help me not to miss the signs. Would you say that? God, please help me not to miss the signs. Yeah. Okay, so now I just want to bring all of this together and bring it home. And I want you to see the temple is you and me as we do this. I think it's clear that, uh, and I think we've heard today and understood, God's temple is sacred ground, that he has great jealousy for his temple. It's a dedicated place of meeting between the Lord and his people. It's a gathering place. There was once a structure in Jerusalem that was called temple. There was a day when God's presence was very real there, but people forgot the place and the priority of temple, and therefore God's presence left that place. But it wasn't the end of the story because God so wants to be with us that this led to a very important piece. Jesus came. And once Jesus completed the work for the atonement of sin and, a, and every opportunity for us to come back to place, to God, Jesus himself became our temple. He became our sacred place. Excellent. But when you and I put our faith in him, as we see people are doing right here in this text, he makes his home in our lives so that we literally become the very temples of God ourselves. Now, I want to cross-reference it to 1 Corinthians 6. Watch this. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So just as the temple in Jerusalem was being used in ways that didn't honor God, we must consider If our bodies, if we're allowing our bodies to be used in ways that don't honor him, that don't honor his his purposes, and how 
Or what might the Lord want to drive out of these bodies, our temples? What might the Lord want to drive out that's taking a place that rightfully belongs to Him? We were created for His purposes. We don't get there by determination. That only leads to frustration. We put ourselves in His hands as offerings, and we become His work. Just as Jesus alone was able to deal with the corruption at the temple, so Jesus alone is the one who has the ability to complete you and me. Our role is to always remember that the same faith that brought us to Jesus in the first place is the same faith that will see us through to completion. So our job, keep our eyes on him. Part of that is a day-by-day, moment-by-moment offering of ourselves back to him. And the surrender involves honest assessment, allowing God to show us anything in us that's contrary so that we can see those things and by an act of our will, turn from them, giving our lives back to him, giving him proper place. So I put together this simple prayer, and I want you to see it, and I think this helps us to get started. As you recognize your need for this prayer, please agree with it. Let's um, pray this together. Lord, I recognize you as the owner of my temple. I willingly submit to you, your spirit, and the authority of your word. Please show me how I might have allowed or am allowing my body, your temple, to be used in ways that take up space that is reserved for you and in worshiping you that I might be clean. Now just take a moment. Let the Holy Spirit reveal anything in your life that's contrary. Just, just let that happen. And as he does, speak them back to him. Let's go on with the prayer. I freely admit that I do not have the power to change anything on my own. Please cleanse me, even if I must endure hardship or suffer affliction in the process. Grant me the courage to remain steadfast as you work. Grant me patience to endure the process And provide extra encouragement when my patience wears thin. Then let me rejoice when your temple is again aligned with you. Let's go on. I make the same request as David did so many years ago. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence. Or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. I ask this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Just two more verses and then we're done. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them. For he knew all people. He knows what's in people. He knows what's in you. He knows what's in me. We just need to agree with him. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each 
person. And I just would say there that neither do we. We just need his testimony. We just need to live for an audience of one. We are his temples. We are set apart for his purposes. There it is, the word of God. Let's pray together. Father God, I have no idea what you might be speaking into a life today. But thank you for your word. I trust that your word has been effective. I trust it to do what it's intended to do. Now the results are up to you. I pray that each person would come to you honestly and let you do your best work. And right here, friends, we like to ask this these two questions in God's presence. What is the Lord saying to you right now? And how will you respond? Please consider these as we...